Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Many autism families struggle with making the choice on inclusion in the school classroom. Is inclusion the right choice for your child? Some children will really thrive in an inclusive setting, but inclusion may not always be the best choice. Inclusion may also work well for a period of time, but then become more difficult as the child grows older. Perhaps a child needing a specialized autism support classroom when they're young may mature to the point where inclusion is a great option. In today's episode, we're speaking with educator Amanda Shepard. She just so happens to also be an autism mom. Amanda has professional and personal experience surrounding the inclusion, school choice, therapy, and IEP topics. Amanda, can you share with us some of the questions that a parent or a caregiver may have in making education choices for their child? Absolutely. Um, some of the questions that I have been asked as a teacher and in friendship are questions such as, what do I feel that the best environment for students with autism is? Is it the special ed classroom? Is it the regular education classroom? Is it a combination of the two? Also along those same lines is public versus private education, also versus a therapy education setting, which are all available. Other questions that I get a lot are uh, the availability of therapies in the school setting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of parents have questions about that. And one of the biggest ones is how do I find a teacher that knows a lot about autism, I guess, sure. <laughs> if you're approaching either public or private education. I guess, what should I look for in a teacher for my child? Right. And I think I I am so just impressed with you and I'll let everybody know. So when Alex was in preschool, uh, starting preschool, you were actually his teacher. I didn't know until maybe a couple of months into it. And shame on me, I guess, for not asking the question. Is it, But I found out that your son was autistic. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is mind blowing. I am so happy that you completely got it. I just felt another layer of comfort for Alex being in your classroom because I knew that you understood not only as a parent, but really understood his needs too. I think it's important to every school district has a different level of commitment and support for inclusion you know, too. Like what, what does inclusion look like and when is it appropriate? What kinds of research that a parent or caregiver does in order to find the best solution for their child. I think one of the questions is what kinds of support does your school district offer to ensure success in an inclusive setting? What does that look like? And from your experience, what have been the kinds of support that one could could look at as far as inclusion? That's a great question. I have had the unique experience of working both in public and private settings. I currently work in a private setting that is just for children who um, have learning differences. So that's a very unique environment. But I also spent 12 years in public education 
which I enjoyed thoroughly. Public education has many benefits. There's a lot of availability of therapies that can be done in the classroom and outside of the classroom. It also has, you know, the benefit of mm-hmm. many resources available to children. Each child has an IEP, which is great. And parents, they work with mm-hmm. the school system to write that IEP and make sure that it addresses their child's specific needs and both academically and in other areas, developmental, mental health, if that's an issue, um, motor skills, things like that. So it doesn't just focus on their academics. It really focuses on the whole child. So in the public setting, depending on what system that you are in, obviously some public school settings have more resources than others. Um, We actually are not from Lexington. We are from a small town in southeastern Kentucky. And the autism diagnosis is what brought us to Lexington. We grew up in a beautiful small town with wonderful people. My child was loved beyond measure by everybody. When we were given the autism diagnosis, since my husband and I are both in education and we're pursuing therapies and things for him to help him Mm -hmm. in all ways, we knew there was a very limited availability of resources there because it is a small town. It's kind of off the beaten path. So there's not a main road that, you know, goes through there. So what you run into is unless there are people that go to school to become therapists and want have this desire to move back to small town, you don't really have people that they might come in for a season and then, you know, they move on. And that's understandable. So we decided that we would move to Lexington. It was first just for a year to pursue some intensive ABA therapy. And it went so well that um, we ended up, this is sure. kept feeling um, like this is where we need to be. So we made the, you know, we made the decision and we officially moved and are now, you know, invested in, in this community and in the people here. But a lot of our decision for the move was ABA was not offered anywhere in our hometown. The understanding of autism at that point in time was very limited. The classroom modifications that I had been taught to that point um, were great. But now I know so much more. And, you know, I have the desire to go back and I've learned this. I want you to to know this for your students. And I feel like, you know, parents, especially newly diagnosed, you don't under, you don't understand and don't know what all is available and what all is out there. And when you start talking about IEPs and your child's education, it can become so overwhelming. I've, um, yes, I'm dealing with it right now. Yes. There's so many, there's so many things that If you don't know to ask for it, it's not that they don't, they intentionally don't offer it, but there may be something that really works, that would really work for your child. And if you knew about it, you would pursue that for them. And a lot of times, a lot of times there is a cookie cutter approach to autism. I don't, I don't particularly care for it because we've all heard the cliche, you meet one child with autism, you met one child with autism. Um, I can speak about Brayden and Alex, you know, <laughs> Brayden's my child, Alex. I had him as a student. They do have similar characteristics, 
but they are so different and so neat. Both of them have these just fabulous personalities, these interests that are so different than and than what your typical students would be interested in. And, you know, it's just, it can't be a cookie cutter approach all the time. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, your child has autism. Well, we're going to give them a picture schedule and we're going to give them this and this because they have autism. Well, my child for one is not very rigid. And so we're like, no, no picture schedule. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, it's like, he really goes with the flow. He's okay with it. He does like to know what's coming next, but he does not, we didn't want him to become dependent, you know, the age of four and five. Uh, This is supposed to happen right now. Right. Well, and I think too, as a, as a teacher yourself, let's kind of talk about, I know something that's been weighing really heavy on my heart. Alex is getting ready to start kindergarten in August. And so we're in January now. We've got a little bit of time. We're going through the IEP process ourselves right now. And you're right, it is overwhelming. But something that a lot of stories have been in the news recently here in Kentucky, that is kind of a really sensitive topic of schools and how they deal with autism-related challenges in students. And it's really made me anxious about how teachers are dealing with some of the challenges that can arise surrounding autism students. And it really makes me question what types of training that you need to ask that teachers go through. Like what kind of training is involved as a teacher that's going to be in a classroom that may have a child with autism? To be honest, it is very hit or miss. I do know I was given the opportunity to sit, uh, to participate in a day of Fayette County's professional development this summer. And the day that I went, a, I think three or four hour session was devoted strictly to autism. And I found it very beneficial. It was a lot of good information. As far as when you do p- professional development, teachers kind of pick and choose what they are are going to and what they're interested in. So it's not really always you have to go to this. If a teacher is not in special education, unless they have an interest or perhaps they've had students with autism and they want to know more, they may not particularly pursue that training. A lot of schools, however, if your child is placed into a classroom and like the regular education classroom, I know for a fact that the special education teacher provides training and support for the classroom teacher. Um, Numerous districts have autism specialists on staff that support their classroom teachers. Now, obviously, those people, they may not be there every moment of every day. So I think the best thing that a parent can do is when they attend the IEP meeting, it's okay to ask, what training has my child's classroom teacher had in regards to autism? I myself, in 11 years of public education, had had one six-hour PD on autism, professional development. And uh, teachers, are most districts require, I think, 24 hours. Some require 30 that the teacher has to complete 
Usually it's completed in the summer prior to. Sometimes it's integrated into the school year based on what that school may be focusing on. They may um, have a day set aside where students don't come and there's a special training for that day. And those topics vary. It's, it's basically on what their focus is for the year. But when we received a diagnosis, I knew little to nothing about autism. And I, I was a teacher. Um, my emphasis was not special education when I uh, received my degree. My emphasis was elementary. And then I have national certification in reading. So way away from (laughs) special education. So it definitely wasn't my forte. However, when we moved here, I uh, had taken a leave of absence. And much like you, I needed to know more. This was going to be our our journey. So I needed to know more. So I enrolled myself into ABA classes to learn more about um, the therapy that was working for my child. I did not set for the assessments because it's not my calling. (laughs) in life. However, I learned so much that now I feel more prepared as an educator to work with students with autism. You know, I have the personal experience, but I also have the, I feel like I have more professional experience now to work work with students with autism because a lot of it is um, behavior based. So when you stop and really think about why a behavior is occurring rather than just trying to manage behavior, that's when you can really make a difference and help students in the classroom. That's true. And I think some districts, teachers have a fair amount of creative license and use technologies or other tools to help kids with different learning styles to understand what's being taught. And then other districts teaching is lecture style. And that approach may be tough for kids on the spectrum who have difficulty with that rapid spoken language. And so the districts with flexibility regarding behavior, like the kids that need to get up, that need to rock, that need to fidget, you know, are allowed to do so. And then other districts, though, that are a little bit more strict in their learning style may be almost impossible for some autistic students. So I think kind of going back to the behavior, it's really important to ask those questions with the district that you're in. One district right beside another district could have very different approaches to that. And it just may not be right for your child. And I've, I think it's important to state too, it, it's not bad to not be in an inclusion setting. So I don't want parents to think, you know what, my my kid's not in a mainstream classroom. That's not a bad thing. Your child may be able to learn in a, in a special room given the tools that he or she needs. You know, they can learn just as much. So I think as a segue for kind of student-related questions, even if the district has the wide range of supports and resources, the child may still not be right for inclusion. I think after grade two, I read that classrooms usually tend to have 20 plus children with a te- one teacher. They move from concept to concept. 
super fast. It requires a lot more of the child. And then some children with autism with or without support can manage in that type of setting. And then others will really find it super stressful. And so we want our kids to not find school to be stressful. We want them to enjoy it. I think maybe one of the first questions as far as the individual student is, how does your child learn? I know that for Alex, he is very similar to Brayden in that he's go with the flow, but he is also a very visual, hands-on learner. If you just sit there and talk to him and try to Mm -hmm. explain things, he's going to absorb some of those things. But if you give him a visual with it, oh, wow, he picks it up so quickly. And that kind of goes back to standardized tests. I mean, tell me a little bit about your experiences on how the child may learn in a general education classroom. Sure. It's very difficult. I am very much all about inclusion, obviously, for my child. I want him to be included. However, I feel like the inclusion needs to be child-led. And when I say that, we, you know, we, last year, we made the decision on what was the best environment for Brayden to thrive in. Where is he going to get the most out of his day? We visited all available options. There was the all-day therapy option, which some families go with, which is fabulous. Um, There's the public education option, which some families go with that is fabulous there. And then there's the private education uh, route that families go with. For Brayden, he has extreme sensitivity to sound. So we knew in the depths of our heart that a classroom of 20 to 25 children he was going to be placed in survival mode all day long. That's he's not going to thrive. And we met with his team and we they were fabulous. We were, you know, worked out um, best case scenarios of how that he could, you know, be pulled for his instruction in a smaller setting and then still be included in the mainstream. However, for it to work for Brayden, it would end up being about 15 to 16 transitions per day. That's a lot. And, you know, while he could handle it, that's a lot of back and forth. That's a lot of, you know, opportunity. Yes, opportunities for for him. At one point, a child crying could have sent him over the edge. It was just, it was like nails on a chalkboard. So... We kept that kind of in our back pocket and pursued other avenues. And we decided on the private education. He's at a very small school that has 44 students from first through 12th grade. So his classroom has four students in it. He's thriving. He's doing well. But there are days the whole school eats lunch together. And there are days that he survives lunch, that it's just a lot. And, you know, we are teaching him to advocate for himself, to say, um, I guess I should preface that Brayden is, he is verbal, but it would be considered low verbal. He can make his wants and needs known, but he doesn't really have conversation skills at this point. So I would equivalent to basically like a three-year-old. You know, he can, he can tell what he wants. He can tell what he needs. He does need prompting for that. But he also, like Alex, is a very visual learner. 
So that kind of played against him in um, the public education as far as being placed in a, a classroom for the main part of the day and just being in that special education setting, which would be small and in those flirts, he would thrive, but he also did not qualify cognitively and developmentally for that scenario. So that that was our ultimate deciding factor in, well, we're going to go with this for now. We don't know that we'll be there forever. We kind of take it a year at a time. This is what's working for him now. The small classroom of four children, you know, um, his class combines with another class sometimes, and it's eight children altogether. And sometimes that's overwhelming. So for right now, this is where he really needs to be. We want his teachers and staff that deal with him to understand that we don't want to push him to do every single thing. We want him to be able to advocate for himself. I'm uncomfortable with this. That setting does not make me comfortable. You know, a lot of enjoy going to the movie theaters. That's a lot of fun. A lot of schools take field trips to the movie theaters. Brayden is terrified of the movie theater. It's too much. It's dark, it's loud, and it's a bright screen all at once. It is too overwhelming for him. It's okay. He enjoys other things. He doesn't have to do this. It's not an essential part of life to go to the movie theater. It may change later. But I think that inclusion needs to be child-led. Just inclusion for sake of inclusion can honestly, in my opinion, cause more behaviors and more damage than letting the child lead. Maybe if it's something you really want them to do, you start with baby steps. They go in for a minute and you work your way up to where they're comfortable. But, you know, a lot of times just including because society says they need to be included is actually not what's best for the child. Yeah. And hopefully at some point, our children can get to the point where they can express themselves. Like you were talking about getting Brayden to a point uh, where he can self-advocate and ask them about how they feel about the Mm -hmm. inclusive setting. Every Mm -hmm. child is different and every stage of their life is different. And some children thriving in an inclusive classroom may have others that feel ostracized or bullied, you know, and Mm -hmm. those issues can be addressed in a lot of cases. But for some of these kiddos, at least for some period of their lives, a more specialized classroom may be a better social fit. And you just kind of have to take it case by case. But Amanda, I really appreciate all of your thoughts and opinions. And I just feel so blessed to know you as a friend and fellow educator here. And I just want you to keep up the great work. And thank you so much for being just a part of my tribe. Thank you for having me. I enjoy being a part. (laughs) And, you know, having a tribe is important, especially in this walk of life. I don't think it's something that any of us would have chosen for our children. However, as we embrace it and just say, okay, 
I'm along for the ride. This is our journey. There's really some great opportunities to grow as a parent, as a person, uh, just by letting this little person lead your way and letting it open your eyes to a different world.